0: Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. The Utah legislature convened their first ever all-virtual special session on Thursday to address the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, Today, we're getting updates from Utah lawmakers. Our guests will include Senator Luce Escamilla, Democrat from Salt Lake City, Senator Lyle Hilliard, Republican from Logan, and Senator Evan Vickers, Republican from Cedar City. Your questions are welcome throughout this hour. You can reach us to our email, upraccess@gmail.com, upraccess@gmail.com. And uh, by the way, this is the first session where the legislature called themselves into special session under new rules. Uh, a lot of firsts here. Um, we welcome in uh, Senator Luce Escamilla. Thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, good morning. Thank you for good, the
0: invitation. Good morning, uh, Senator Evan Vickers uh, in Cedar City. Thanks for joining us, uh, Senator Vickers. Are you there? We'll have to. We'll have to make sure we have a good good line there for I apologize. Senator. Apologize. Yeah. Oh, oh. thanks for having us. Oh, oh. Uh, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. And Senator Lyle Hilliard, thanks for being
2: with us. I'm glad to be there. I'm looking outside my window here in Logan. It's beautiful sunshine. Oh, so it's, it's a great day in Logan.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Senator Vickers, same in Cedar City, sun shining?
3: A little, uh, no, a little rain down here. Okay. we had uh, quite a bit of moisture the last few days, so I uh, woke up to
1: some more rain this morning.
0: Yeah, I guess, we, I guess we can use it. And Senator Escamilla, good day in Salt Lake?
1: It's beautiful in Salt Lake City. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Well, Senator Escamilla, I want to start with you uh, on a personal level. You went public with your diagnosis, uh, COVID-19, uh, tested positive, you and your husband. Um, and and <laughs> sounds very clinical, right? Tested positive. Uh, you, uh, I, I was reading you talking about the disease. You, you said it feels like you're, you're getting beat up. Uh, tell us a little bit yes. about
1: it. <laughs> and I'm glad I'm not the only one. I've seen a lot of people sharing that. It, it takes a toll on your body, and it's pretty painful. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit blurry my husband and I both being isolated you know in isolation at the same time with little ones running you know we can hear them but we couldn't be outside with them in the house and yeah it was you're, it meant for your own I mean it's survival of the fittest when <clears throat> your body's fighting the virus but yeah it was, it was pretty painful
0: mm. your husband said he, his eyeballs hurt That's
1: <laughs> yeah he did and he It was you know we all had a little bit of Different ways of, of uh, the symptoms were, you know, uh, showing differently. But the body ache is pretty common, and in the back, especially in the back. That's why I, w- I was like, I think someone is beating me up because mm-hmm. I can feel it in my back. And I, you know, and so yeah, he's we're doing way better. I mean, mm-hmm. a month later, uh, we, you know, we've been released from uh, isolation and quarantine according to CDC guidelines and the local health department. Um, you know, still some lingering and coughing but other than that we feel way better and no just, good you know feel blessed that we were able to to not have like serious medical complications while facing this.
0: yeah that's um, i'm glad i I'm got to hear you're feeling better uh just a couple of questions because i, I think you can uh, you've been through it and uh, i i don't know it whenever myself or, or any of my friends start Sneezing or sniffling or whatever, we you know you, your mind goes first to to COVID nineteen, and, and that's the thing you you just don't know, right? You you uh, your first symptoms were fatigue, and you you didn't just didn't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it was right after legislative session, and hence why uh, making this very public was I felt you know there's a responsibility, moral responsibility, for me to let people know because it literally happened. My symptoms two days after the session ended, and you know we were in the capital with thousands of people, fourteen hours a day, you know, for seven weeks. Um, I, you know, I really was not going to be able to call everyone I've interacted in the last week of the session. So yeah, I mean, I didn't. I mean, at that moment, I thought it was just the fatigue of the of the session, uh, which is very common. And this is my twelfth. Session. So I, I just kind of like, you know, was in my house and waiting and already preparing for my family to quarantine, which is we were following the social distancing instructions by that time already. So yeah, when this happened and things got more uh, complicated, I, you know, we end up at the hospital both of us, and, and that's how we knew of our, uh, you know, that's when they tested and everything. But yeah, it was it was important to let people know we were preparing also as, as the legislature as we were. Finishing our session, there was conversations of what's going to happen next, um, you know, because of the COVID-19. So, mm-hmm. in my head, it was there. I just never thought I was going to be the one <laughs> out of that many people that was going to test positive.
0: Yeah. I want to move on to a special session, but uh, just one or two more questions on on this. Uh, so, uh, a question that I think a lot of us have. Uh, you start having symptoms, they might match up with COVID-19, uh, when to get tested, when to when not to? what What's your suggestion, to... Okay,
1: so very different from where we are, and I, I appreciate that question. I think it's probably if anything I can convey, we have our our guidelines to testing has changed significantly from March sixteen when I started with my symptoms to where we are right now, a month later. And during that time, it was very limited testing. There were few sites that were doing it. Um, I wasn't meeting criteria because I didn't have very high fevers at the beginning. My fevers really started later that week. And that's why my testing didn't happen for that amount of time. I was in communication with my healthcare provider, my doctor, and <clears throat> he was monitoring because I have asthma. So we were trying to just address the asthma issue thinking that it was just an asthma or, you know, just a flu, other type of flu. Um, so <clears throat> right now, testing is critical. And we want more Utahns to get tested. We know that testing will flatten the curve, and I, you know, I think there's many of us are working in increasing awareness of the importance of testing. And I think right now, between the three different entities that are helping, you know, University of Utah Health, Intermountain Healthcare, and Silicon Slopes with their Test Challenge in Utah, um, I, there are many, many opportunities for people to test <clears throat> just by having one of the many symptoms or if they were in contact with a COVID-19 positive. So I encourage people to do that, not to be afraid if anything information Mm -hmm. empowers people Uh, and knowing what's happening is critical and it will literally be uh, putting us in a better place as we try to continue to flatten the curve.
0: All right, Uh, very good. Uh, I'm I'm very very glad you and your husband and family are are doing well now. Um, uh, By the way, coronavirus.utah.gov I think is a good place uh, to, uh, kind of a central place to go. Uh, I want to turn next to to, uh, Senator Vickers. Um, So this was a unique, well, ongoing, right, uh, session, but uh, started on Thursday. Um, First ever virtual session. So you participated from Cedar City?
3: I did, yeah. Yeah, we were actually the first in the country to do that. So when the House cranked up Thursday morning, they were the first to ever do, uh, at least to my knowledge, a special session or any kind of a session uh, virtually.
0: So. And so the only the only people there, I guess, were the, the Speaker of the House and, uh, and the Senate President, actually, in the chambers? Yeah,
3: and some of the staff. Some okay. of the staff people, if you're watching online, you can see that they were distanced, and they had masks on. And it didn't go off without any hitches. I mean, the House was on WebEx in the morning, and then when we started in the afternoon, just as we were logging on, WebEx went down nationwide. And so our staff had to do some amazing scrambling. I'm not, quite frankly, I'm, I'm really impressed how they could, were able to pull it off. But an hour later, we were able to get started, which is an hour late. But we had to move over to Zoom instead of WebEx. Uh, and when we came back Friday, we were back on WebEx. But, so it, it, wasn't, it certainly wasn't done without anxiety. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, by the way, this is the first session where, the, I, I believe, where under the new rules, the legislature was able to call themselves into the special session.
3: That's correct,
0: yeah, that is. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Senator Hilliard, uh, I want to start with you and, and get into some of the things that, uh, uh, you know, goals for the session, So and then go around to uh, all the legislations we have on the, on the panel here. So, Senator Hilliard, what wh- what are your goals going in? What do you hope is accomplished in the special session?
2: Well, I th- thought we accomplished most of them. It's always a budget issue, and we had a unique situation this year with uh, many unique things, but one thing that happened is that we normally pay our income tax on April 15th. As you know, the federal government extended that April 15th to, to July 15th, and we were struggling with what to do because our statute says April 15th, so one of the things we had to do is change the date to move April 15th to July 15th so that people would file the returns at the same time. Where we follow the federal uh, taxation and move from that into our state, it's really important that we keep in that uh, sequence. So. That was one of the things we, that we had to do, that's really kind of a technical thing. But the other problem it really had for us is our fiscal year ends on June thirtieth. Historically, April fifteenth is a big time for us to receive our income tax revenue for the state that we use for the year end budgeting to finish out the year. Well, people are not not very many are going to pay their income tax on April fifteenth if it's not due until July fifteenth. that crosses over a fiscal year. So if we suddenly had the money we planned for for the fiscal year ending in June, not paid until July, that created some budget issues. And so one of the things we had to do was allow some different uh, trading and, and dipping into rainy day funds so that so we could finish this year with uh, a balanced budget. That's awfully important to us. We don't want to cut everybody off the last month. Now our job will be that when we start in July, as the revenue comes in July 15th, uh, use that to backfill some of the funds that we had to use to bounce it all out so that that was kind of a technical thing to do and we were able to do it but <clears throat> there's even a deeper issue is i think most of us feel that right now our economies and i hate to use the term free fall but we're many people are not working many people are not buying many people are not driving not buying gas for gas tax so we don't know where this is going to end i think we're just kind of playing it out to, keep uh, keep our powder dry, so to speak, so as we see where this finally ends up, we can make what adjustments we need to do to budgets. And part of the thing is we gave a warning, a friendly warning to all state agencies and schools that uh, there may not be the money that we planned on in January when we did our budget when you start into this year. So I think most agencies are looking at that very carefully. But that's an ongoing issue. I suspect, quite frankly, Tom, that we're going to have a number of special sessions between now and uh, especially into November as we see this moving uh, table and where it really ends up and how we do it. But that was an important thing to me is to get the budget straightened out and to uh, put ourselves in the position that we can react as we need to react as the revenue is coming in.
0: So a follow-up question. Uh, uh, Speaker Wilson is quoted in Deseret News is saying that uh, uh, fiscal analysts are already estimating loss of tax revenue between 500 million and a and billion that would hit state and local government budgets
2: yeah i don't know those figures i'm not surprised to hear that because uh, part of the problem is that, uh, <clears throat> our revenue doesn't come in the same each month good example is we get a lot of sales tax in in february because after the christmas sales end in Ju- in december it takes 30 days before they pay their taxes so Starting February 1st or January 31st or February 1st, we start seeing the revenue increases. There's a big lump in, like the income tax. There's a big lump that comes in on April 15th. So it's kind of hard to really look and see exactly where we're going because it's not even. But we can see. Last year, it was X number. This year, it's Y number. And the factors seem to be about the same. So it gives you some warning where you're going. I'm not surprised at those figures, but I have not heard them. And I don't think we have any near a final what that's going to be because we don't know how long this is going to go. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's true. It's it's unknown. Uh, Senator Escamilla, just open ended. What uh, what are the most important things to to in your mind to have happened in this special session, and have they been accomplished?
1: Well, thank you for the question. And uh, clearly, Senator Hilliard addressed the critical component of uh, you know to continue with a budget that's balanced and. Um, he he made it really simple. I appreciate him. He's really good with the budget as a former chair of the budget. Um, but I, I think the other components was um, accepting the, the CARES Act funds. So this is a relief fund that are coming from the federal government to state uh, to states to help us through this process, and it's an emergency relief fund, and uh, the legislature takes action of, you know, accepting the money. And I think maybe this week if we have, uh, which is, we're planning on having a special session, there may be some uh, more detailed legislation on how those funds are going to be distributed and some of the work there. But we also had uh, other policy conversations happening. One, a very critical one is in workers' compensation and uh, providing now our um, healthcare essential workers and first responders uh, protection under the workers' compensation if they are uh, COVID-19. Uh, you know, they end up in a situation with COVID-19 themselves, in the uh, while performing their jobs, and I think that that was very important. Uh, we need to continue to do more to help our our healthcare and essential workers. Uh, you know, just thanking them and they're on the front lines and they're the reason why we still are here. Um, some of us have been sick through this process. You know, we certainly rely heavily on them, so that was critical. And then there was. Uh, the other one was very important is we, we are taking some of our own initiatives to, relieve, to provide relief to businesses um, and, um, and also uh, some uh, housing security components for our, for the community and, and residents of the state of Utah, and those were bills that we addressed as well. I know Senator Victor had one that could probably talk more about those, but to me those were very important. And, um, you know, right now, as you know, the federal government, run out of money on the SBA, uh, you know, payment protection plan and program, and we, we now, our businesses are hurting, and many of them were stocking up and applying and not getting funding. Hopefully Congress gets uh, to act faster and bring more relief funds for them, but you know, those were important ones, the ones that we are trying to help, uh, help businesses, especially in our agriculture area. Uh,
0: Our rural youth is hurting, and they they need to get relief as well. Mm. Uh, Senator Vickers, what's top of mind for you in this special session? What needs to be done?
3: Well, when we looked at uh, this special session, we certainly wanted to look at things that were urgent in nature that needed to be addressed. And, you know, Senator Escamilla, Senator Hilliard have done a good job of outlining a number of those things. Um, Some of the things that rose to that level, obviously, were budget items. Uh, Senator Escamilla mentioned, you know, some help for businesses. You know, one of the bills actually is going to use some of the federal money that will be coming to the state, funneling to farmers and ranchers who are really struggling right now. They they literally, and, and that's an issue that we really ought to probably talk about, spend a few minutes on, but <clears throat> their markets are gone. Uh, most of their markets, for, for example, for wool and for lambs are... Uh, China and places out of the country and those buyers can't even come into the country let alone us be able to ship those products out so uh, those types of things uh, we needed to address some uh, issues dealing with notification and making sure that we're in the loop on getting uh, working with the governor on certain notifications and orders so that we can have some influence on that and, and uh, help with that process and uh, uh, some of the things we talked about, and Senator Ski mentioned the bill that uh, I was a sponsor on that uh, dealt with immunity for practitioners that are working on the front lines dealing with COVID patients. And so those were the things we, we just, and then also election. Uh, we had to deal with some election issues and take care of some of those things. So we just, there was a number of things that had risen very quickly to the level of urgency that we needed to address. And We've accomplished most of those. We've got a couple of things we're going to have to finish up this coming Thursday, but uh, you know we're getting close.
0: I, I do want to follow up a little later in the program with farmers and ranchers. That I think that doesn't it doesn't get the press that maybe it deserves that that particular problem. Um, I, I know Senator Escamilla has to leave about in about five minutes, so I wanted to turn back to to uh, to you, Senator Escamilla. Uh, and ask you directly, uh, or uh, get into a discussion about the uh, COVID nineteen Health and Economic Response Act it passed the Senate because it goes to the House. Uh, creates a new Public Health and Economic Emergency Commission uh, to make recommendations um, about uh, how to how to reopen the economy. Uh, Senator Escamilla, your thoughts on this? Do you have any concerns?
1: Um. No, I mean, I you know I think there's always concerns in the commission when it comes to membership. Um, you know, bringing balance to a commission, it's always difficult, and I, we do that in the legislature all the time. So I would um, love to see more diversity in that commission, addressing issues of women. So 53% in the workforce right now are women um, in, in the country. Those essential workers happen to be more women than men. So uh, you think about nurses, people working in grocery stores, um, in the healthcare, even more, I think it's 57% are women. So I, I, w- I would have loved to see more uh, something more focused on women and the economy. Also diversity, you know, ethnic minority, the underserved communities are hit disproportionately higher COVID-19 positives. In the state of Utah, Hispanic Latinos have to be the highest rate of those positives. So I... I personally would have loved to see more of that piece included. Look, at the end of the day, um, decisions have to be made, and I, I get if you have a commission of twenty-five people, or twenty, or fifteen, becomes very dysfunctional. It's really hard, but I, you know, I just really urge, uh, you know, that as this process moves forward, that voices need to be heard, and that there's a process and a mechanism to get there. I, I appreciate what Senator Vickers just mentioned about balance. Um, you know, a lot of people were, are frustrated. It has been a very difficult month for the entire world, period, but for us as a nation and as a state. And I, we couldn't do much as a legislature. I mean, I want people to know that. We were listening. We were hearing. We were, um, some of us, recovering at the same time with many of our, uh, of our constituents living this process. And our hands were tied. Um, we couldn't get together as a legislature for a month and take action. I appreciate the balance of having the governor communicate in a better and more formal way with the legislature. I find that to be critical, and I and that's why that to me that piece of legislation was important. It's very important that we have that balance, especially with our leadership, our speaker, and the minority leaders included in those conversations are very important. The commission, I, I wish I just could be more uh, broad and bring more voices to that conversation, but again, I. You know, we're here to to be uh, as legislators to act and represent our districts, and I think we're we're it, we're doing a good job. But it's hard when we have limitations on how that interaction takes place. So I I'm hoping some of this bill addresses that, and this commission, um, you know, provides good feedback to the governor. I I think they, they will, they're going to need a lot of voices that are not there for sure, and and I, I can tell you some of us will continue to provide a lot of that feedback and. Uh, uh, you know, I know many of them in the board, in that commission are people that listen, but it, it's going to be difficult to to bring all those voices together. Hmm.
0: Well, let's. I know we uh, need you to, to let you go, Senator Escamilla. Uh, we, we appreciate you uh, being with us. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: Senator Luce Escamilla, Democrat from Salt Lake City. Uh, In fact, let's take a break now, and when we come back, we'll uh, continue with Senator Evan Vickers, Republican from Cedar City, and uh, Senator Lyle Hilliard, Republican from Logan. Uh, We're taking your questions as well. The uh, legislature called themselves into special session, a virtual session, on Thursday, and I believe this special session continues for a few more days uh, this week. Um, We're talking about uh, what's happening, of course, uh, the... The reason for the special session the, the pandemic and all of the health and economic effects, and, and what do we do? Uh, so you can reach us to upraxisgmail.com, upraxisgmail.com. More following this break.
4: UPR's debunked podcast is made possible by our members and the Emma Eccles-Jones College of Education and Human Services, Department of Kinesiology and Health Science, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration Rural Opioid Technical Assistance Program, and the Tribal and Rural Opioid Initiative of Utah State University and Extension at usu.edu.
0: During these challenging times, UPR not only brings you the latest in local news, but such programs as the TED Radio Hour. And episodes on the TED Radio Hour are tackling the coronavirus head-on, for example, examining the science and history of pandemics, but other episodes are providing a welcome escape and distraction from the news with topics focused on space exploration and brain science. You can support local and national programs during these times with your support to upr.org. And thank you.
3: COVID-19 has changed daily life in the U.S., and with news breaking by the hour, it can be hard to stay up to date. I'm Ari Shapiro. Join us every weekday for a new live conversation about the disease, what you need to know, what's coming next, and we'll answer your questions. The National Conversation with All Things Considered, live every weekday at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 Pacific from NPR News.
0: That's 7 p.m. our time right here on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for joining us Praxis AXIS Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're turning to legislators uh, to get an update from the special session. It was uh, called into session uh, on Thursday and uh, is happening virtually. Uh, because of the pandemic, in fact, the fact of the session because of the pandemic as well. And we're talking uh, now for the rest of the program with Senator Lyle Hilliard from Logan and Senator Evan Vickers from uh, Cedar City. Your questions, welcome to UPRAccess at gmail.com, UPRAccess at gmail.com. So uh, Senator Hilliard, uh, I want to talk a little bit more about this new public health, well, if it passes the House, right, Public Health and Economic Emergency Commission um, Senator Davis is quoted as saying that the the bill, in his view, seems to put the fiscal health of the state ahead of local health concerns. He 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 feels like the, the, the haven't got the balance right. What do you think?
2: Well, it's hard to judge something that has not really acted yet, and they are working under some very tight uh, time frames of trying to get something moving. It's not going to be like you switch a light on. It's not going to be being one way, being the other way immediately. It's a transition, and I think issue that really want this Commission to look at is what areas can we move quicker in what areas do we need to go more carefully in and I think it's easy to characterize one way or the other but I certainly didn't feel that way I there's a lot of pressure on us by people who look around and don't see a lot of sick people and that's thank goodness that we've been able to to bend that curve beginning it but on the other hand uh, as we look at the risks of ages and we look at the risk of geographic areas, I think there's a feeling that it's not one, one size fits all and that we ought to be looking on an area basis and what we ought to do and what industries we ought to look at. I know there's a number of industries here in Cache Valley businesses that have stayed open, and I've been very impressed as I visited with the owners about what they're doing to protect not only their employees but also the public when people come in and handle a service. I think we're uh, we're going to have to live with COVID-19. I don't think that's going to be suddenly gone. I think we're going to have to be changing our habits and and distancing, uh, washing hands, coughing into into uh, your uh, handkerchief rather than just uh, coughing out in the public. For all things are good health things. We got to be doing those anyway. So I think as we learn that and make the transition, I think uh, uh, we're going to be able to make that transition. So. Again, it's beginning a process that may be quick, may be long, but I think we need to carefully do it, and I certainly support that move towards doing that. I, uh, health is number one; we got to protect health, but we can't all go hide under our bed for ninety days and walk out after ninety days and hope it's gone. We got to live with the circumstances we have.
0: Senator Vickers, what what do you think the, the uh, pu- potential new public health and economic emergency commission, which, uh, if if enacted, would uh, would be mandated to act uh, pretty fast?
3: Yeah, it actually did pass the house. By the oh, way. It did okay. Passed last Friday. Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and the and Lyle did a really nice job of outlining the things that uh, you know some of the same thoughts I had. We I live on one end of the state; he lives on the other. And we're kind—we of, kind of, see a different picture than those people who are living in downtown Salt Lake, like Senator Escamilla, Um, because we don't see that activity. We just don't see the COVID activity in our area. For example, Southwest Utah that <clears throat> takes in five counties: Washington, Iron, Kane, Garfield, and Beaver. Um, we have a few cases. Most of those cases are in Washington County. A few of those people have been hospitalized. There has been one death. There was a compromised patient down here that. Uh, attracted the virus and died, but for the most part, it's very small numbers. Uh, Beaver County has none. Garfield County had one. Uh, Kane County's had three. Iron County's had, I think, 17 now. But almost all of those have recovered as well. There's a high rate of recovery. And so we see a different picture than those that are in maybe in Salt Lake County or Summit County or even in some of the other metropolitan counties, Davis and Tooele, that have seen more cases and more urgency and and trying to uh, maybe lock things down, our people in in our area, and I'm sure Lyle's seeing the same thing, is that they're anxious to get back to work, and they're really worried, they're concerned, you know. And uh, one one concern too, you got you got all these uh, two-income families, um, and then now their children are home, you know, they can't go to school. And uh, I know it's really difficult on those kids. Uh, my my grandkids, my one of my grand, my oldest granddaughter is a senior in high school. And it's tough. I mean, you know, literally think about what she's giving up and what she's losing out on her senior year. And uh, so people are anxious to, to try to do it. But they're also being responsible. I mean, we own three pharmacies and we have a number of other retail businesses. And we've had to make some Significant uh, changes to our policies and how things how we work, you know, and how we treat customers, how customers,
2: um,
3: you know, try to distance, how our employees are protected, and and I, I'm i like wow, I'm I'm impressed with what businesses are doing that are staying open and doing things, how how they're taking this seriously and. And for the most part, I see people doing the same thing. You know, I'm seeing a lot more masks. Uh, I'm seeing a lot more, you know, when I walk by somebody in the store, it's, you know, there's no, you know, we greet, but it's, you know, it's a wave and a a visit from six or eight feet away and then then walk on. So it's it's a life-changing event, uh, but people are just anxious to try to get back to where they can make a living.
0: Yeah, good points, uh, Senator Hilliard. I, I wondered, uh, uh, picking up on what Senator Vickers was saying, uh, just on you know lifestyle and what what we're doing, and um, it, it, COVID nineteen probably going to be with us for for quite a while. So so how do we how do we navigate? Try to gingerly open up uh, and, and well, still stay safe.
2: I th- <laughs> well, I think we have to. Uh, I tell everyone who calls me here in Logan uh, that they want to open up; they need to what to do. I say the first person to call is Dr. Lloyd Branson at the Bear River Health Department and check with him and see what his staff will tell you as they look over your your facilities, what you need to do and protect you. Because people, <clears throat> true, they're concerned about their business, but they also are deeply concerned about their employees and the public. And so I don't see anybody just acting uh, recklessly in what they're trying to do, but they're trying to get some guidance in what they need to do. And I think as we look at that, that's going to be with us. And some people think that this virus may go down in the summer and it may come back again next fall, and so that will give us time to create better vaccines and better testing of that. But I think uh, we need to all be conscious of ourselves that we wash our hands, we don't, we don't get in each other's faces, uh, if we have to sneeze, we use a handkerchief, we do something that we don't just cough at in the, in the open because droplets are really important. And I think the education process uh, of most people now, I don't care. You, you can make a law and have police out arresting everybody, but that's not going to work any better. I think people need to learn to motivate the guy themselves. And I, I've been impressed with what people have been able to do.
0: Hmm. Senator Vickers, I want to return to uh, farmers and ranchers. Uh, you mentioned that earlier. Um, you know, some sectors of the economy hit harder than others. Um, farmers and ranchers, you're saying, are hit pretty hard.
3: Yeah, they really are. You know, and, uh, you know, we take. Take for granted, and we always have, and probably always will take for granted that uh you know our food's available to us, and uh, when we go to the grocery store, you know we get plenty of meat and dairy products and eggs and you know and all all sorts of other things, vegetables and things, and those all come from you know farmers and ranchers and those people that take care of us and they're struggling right now um, many of the as i mentioned you know like the wool growers and sheepmen uh, are, are literally have zero market for their product right now um, most most of their lamb is sold to out-of-state or out-of-country buyers those those buyers can't get here let alone ship the product most all of their wool goes to china and that's that's a zero you can't and so they're literally sitting on millions of dollars of of product, meaning wool and, and lambs, and they can't get rid of it. They can't do anything with it. Um, you know, beef prices have kind of plummeted. In. There's surplus of things. You know, you've, you think about it. There's no restaurants, or the restaurants are significantly decreased in how much food they're putting out. Um, school lunch, you know, those, those things are not happening as to the level they were. And so there's a lot of the demand for food products uh, just isn't there and these guys are really struggling. They're they're literally, I mean, you've got these farms that have been, you know, generational type farms that are literally on the brink of just abandoning them and going bankrupt. Uh,
0: And as you point out, uh, we're so interconnected these days, right? The markets are international, and so the solution uh, is going to have to be cooperation internationally, isn't it?
3: Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt. It's, um, you know, a lot. Of, I think it'll make us rethink a lot of things, and I, Lyle alluded to this. You know, I think we're going to have to rethink how we do things. You know, right now, a lot of the manufacturing is done out of the country. Um, a lot of systems are outsourced to outside the country. I think you know we're almost going to have to start looking at how can we do that inside of our country more. And maybe bring some of that industry back to the United States and make it and find a way to make it profitable in order to protect the, the country and the viability of the businesses.
0: Hmm. Uh, let's take another break. When we come back, we'll have a final segment uh, with uh, legislators we're talking to, uh, uh, reporting on the special session, a virtual session uh, that's ongoing Uh, the Utah legislature. We're talking with Senator Lyle Hilliard and Logan and Senator Evan Vickers in Cedar City. Earlier in the program, we had on Senator Luce Escamilla from uh, Salt Lake City. More following this.
4: Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and CAPSA, the Rape Crisis Center for Cash and Rich Counties, providing confidential rape and sexual abuse recovery and support services, including support phone line, rape exam advocacy, legal reporting, and clinical therapy. Details at capsa.org. And the Utah Statesman, making connections with the campus community and offering subscriptions to the Utah Statesman newsletter for the weekly digital edition. More information available at usustatesman.com. Behind every story.
1: The mission of NPR. The mission
4: of NPR. The mission of NPR is to work in partnership with member stations. Behind every conversation. To create a more informed public. A more informed public. A more informed public. Behind everything we do. When challenged and invigorated. By a deeper understanding and appreciation of events, ideas, and cultures. The world changes day by day, but NPR's mission remains the same. Join the others who are already backing this commitment to serving the public through reliable news and information become a new member of this station today you can support this mission by donating to Utah Public Radio at upr.org. and thank you
0: thanks for listening to access Utime Tom Williams we reached our last segment to have about 15 minutes or so left in the conversation you can get a question to us through our email UPR access gmail.com access gmail.com you could call us as well, 800-826-1495 is our toll-free number anywhere, 800-826-1495. I want to start uh, this segment with uh, Senator Hilliard. Uh, the House and Senate apparently passed a bill to make the, the upcoming primary election, by the way, is June 30th, entirely by mail. Of course, Utah is a vote-by-mail state, but uh, this would um, uh, this would be, make it entirely by mail, uh, except to accommodate disabled voters. Does allow for mobile voting from a vehicle in counties that uh, choose to use that method. Um, so this this has national ramifications, Senator Hilliard. Um, there's been a you know after the uh, to do in Wisconsin, uh, there's been a lot of discussion on whether, and we don't know whether COVID nineteen will be at, a, at you know fever pitch at in November when the when the general election comes and is so a, a push uh, perhaps to encourage uh, more states than Utah to, uh, to go vote by mail. Uh, I think Utah's experience has been pretty good, pretty smooth, hasn't it?
2: From everything I'm hearing, it has worked out. I really have to compliment our county clerks who have this responsibility. I, I try to sign my signature the same every time, but I know I don't. And so when you vote and you have your signature on that, and they have any questions, they have to try to, to verify that some way. And I have no idea from the county clerks how many they had to call and really verify, but the voting by mail has really uh, turned out to be quite well if you can verify that people are not voting twice, and that's a concern is that, uh, that. for example, this is a side thing, when we did our virtual session, every time I voted and said aye or nay, I had to have my picture on on the the, uh, the dais so they could see me actually voting. You cannot just say uh, IRNA I without having that tied in directly. And that's going to part of the concern that people have about voting by mail. Somebody could pick up a mail, uh, pick somebody's mailbox and get the ballot and sign it and send it in, uh, totally uh, and duplicating the number of votes. But I think uh, our county clerks feel comfortable with it. I know here in Cache Valley, Jill Zollinger does a great job, and I, I think if she feels comfortable with it, as conscientious as she is, then I have to agree with it as well.
0: Senator Vickers, what do you think about this uh, this bill, uh, making entirely by mail the, the June 30th election?
3: Uh, you know, it, I think that that's kind of where we're going. You know, it seems to be the direction that most of the counties have taken. Uh, our county's done it, gone through a couple of election cycles now, and, seems to be very successful i know beaver county one of the counties i represent have been doing it even longer than that they're they're there's uh voting at, you know turnout has been a lot higher with uh, vote by mail uh it seems to they seem to i'm like lyle you know the, the county clerks have done a great job of kind of figuring this out and they recognize that that's kind of the way that we need the direction we need to be going and they've taken the precautions uh, there is a little bit of provision, and you mentioned this, Tom, that uh, there, some of the counties wanted to do a, drive, a drop box type uh, mailing. And so that was that's kind of the, I guess that's the compromise on in-person voting is to be able to drive by and drop it into a box. and uh, But for the most part, it will be, uh, you know, almost completely a vote by mail election. Uh, but I, I don't see any disruption there. I think that it's going to go fairly smoothly because we've pretty much done that for the last few cycles.
0: Uh, I guess one, I'd guess i add something. Yes,
3: to, yes, Excuse me, Tom. I'd add something.
2: The question arose, uh, should the state or the county provide the stamp? In other words, I get my mail ballot. Do, do I have to put a stamp on to mail it in, or should the county or state pay for it? Because there's some people, quote-unquote, who can't afford a stamp. And so, uh, again, the drop-off is what really a kind of the compromise to reach that because a uh, uh, stamp doesn't seem to be a lot of money, but I jokingly say if you need a quarter to use a pay telephone and you don't have a quarter, a quarter is a lot of money. And so that's one of the issues looking at is, is can we really handle it? Should we provide stamps for everybody, the people who even don't use it? Uh, We've now have got the stamp taken care of. So there's a little side issues that we have to work through.
0: I guess another adjustment would be um, same-day voter registration would would potentially be a problem.
2: That's
3: right. that, yeah. is, that is one that uh, that did come out in the bill that will not yeah at least on this election cycle we will not be able to do the same-day voter registration. Mm-hmm.
0: So, uh, both of you gentlemen, uh, I'm sure aware of the, the the news and s- <laughs> concerns and controversy um, surrounding um, you know potential voting problems if, if COVID nineteen is still a, a problem, you know, come early November. Uh, do either you have have concerns nationally? Utah probably, I guess, be okay because we got vote by mail. But uh, do you have concerns on a national level? Uh, Senator Vickers, first.
3: Um, well. I don't know how other states, how well other states are doing with vote by mail. I mean, if they're all following Utah, great. We have no—I don't think we have any problems. Uh, uh, I think there's always some anxiety with vote by mail about, you know, fraud. But I think we've been able to prove it here at least that it's pretty well controlled, pretty well taken care of. Um, I, you know, you just have to put your trust in other states to make sure this happens. I'm assuming that if we had to do a complete vote by mail in November, that there are going to be states that are lagging behind in the expertise and the ability to handle it. And so there's going to be some trouble spots. Uh, but overall, it certainly has the potential to work. It, it's going to depend on those those states and and how well up to speed they are.
0: Hmm. Senator Hilliard, what, uh, your view nationally, Utah, I would assume, would be okay because you already got the vote by mail.
2: You know, and I've not really followed that on, in, in other states. I know there's a controversy. The key is to prevent fraud. I think everybody wants everybody to vote and to know what they're doing in voting. But the question is really fraud. And I, that's one of the issues. Uh, you know, we, we now elect our local people who become electoral voters. We have a, a, that way of electing our president of the United States. There's some push to do away with that and have just the total popular vote count. Then it becomes really an issue: uh, what happens in Boston, or what happens in New York, what happens in Atlanta. Uh, if they're going to have people voting and not really, uh, and have some product occur on the presidential election, then it becomes a concern. But I think each state needs to look carefully in what they want to do and make sure they do it right. And again, I, th- I think our county clerks have just I've been impressed with the work they do; is very conscientious and do this job, and we've been able to handle it.
3: I
0: want to talk about one of the bills that uh, I think passed the House. I'm not sure if it's passed the Senate. Um, requiring the governor to give Utah legislature at least 48 hours notice before issuing emergency declarations. Uh, Senator Vickers, uh, what what's your feeling on this?
3: Well, I'm actually the Senate sponsor on that bill, and I've been negotiating with the governor's office. We've made we've uh, got a draft of some provisions that the governor's office suggested on that the. The driving force behind that is that the governor's office had uh, not given enough, a lot of notice to Senate and House leadership on what was going on. For example, um, uh, closing of schools, um, you know, suspending, uh, being able to evict a, a member or somebody living in an apartment or a commercial building. Some of those, some of those, notice- the directives that he's given. So, uh, actually, there had been. It's one of those things where there had been a little bit of a disagreement on how much notice that the legislature should receive and what what role the legislature should, say, legislature should play in that decision and those processes. So the bill is, is guiding, uh, trying to guide some direction as to, uh, with the governor's office, what kind of direction and what kind of notification you can give to the legislature and what kind of input we can have on that, on making those uh, very, very important decisions. Uh, The bill did pass the House. Uh, We've significantly changed the the draft right now and making some suggestions, taking some suggestions, many suggestions from the governor's office and looking at that. I've got probably one other little piece I need to negotiate with the governor's office, and I'm working with them, and they've been very cooperative. So hopefully we'll have uh, some agreement on that today and we can have uh, the draft released and and ready to be considered on Thursday. Mm.
0: Uh, some of the pushback has come from fellow Republicans. They've called this legislative power overreach. I assume you don't feel the same way.
3: Well, we've we've taken a position that uh, we we really feel like we need to have say in in these type of, you know, if it's a, it rises to the urgency of you know damage to property and people and and lives, then yeah, the governor's got to make take some action. But if not, maybe we ought to say. Well let's pause for a second. let's have more eye. I, I know from my perspective in the legislature and, uh, and Lyle has taught me this over the years that if you get more people involved and have more eyes on something, you can usually get get a, a better decision and so uh, the legislature would just like to have some input, uh, see some things going on, not necessarily telling the governor what to do. That's his job. you know he, at the end of the day he, he controls that, but still have more input on uh, some of these more really, really important directives that could, that could take place during a pandemic. So we're not, we're not trying to jerk power away from the governor. We're simply trying to uh, lend support and, and try to find a, a way through the process to come up with a very best policy to put out for the people of the state.
0: Senator Hilliard, your thoughts on this bill?
3: Well, I, I
2: agree with what Evan just said. The problem gets to be defining what is the emergency you really need to take immediate action on. And I would agree if there's a fire burning or there's uh, floods coming, something like that, the governor has to do some emergency things that have to be done quickly. But a good example is saying that schools will, will not meet the rest of the year. I think many people thought that hopefully they could get school the month of May and have the kind of events that Evan talked about his granddaughter. I know I've had a number of people call me here very concerned about the impact this is going to have on their children in high school, especially their senior year. And is that, it's probably a part of an emergency, but do we need to make a decision right now and have it done, or should we have more input? I learned very early on in my legislative career, the governor is kind of the inside going out. He hears from the his state employees, his state agencies, they advise him, and so he really comes from that perspective. I come and Evan comes, and legislators come from outside looking in. I'm concerned about what Logan Canyon looks like. I'm concerned about Sardine Canyon. I'm concerned about the health here in, in Logan, and I need to give that word to the governor. So balancing his perspective from inside out, our side, outside in, I think makes a better process and decision. And some, some decisions, and I think we were clear in the bill, the governor can make them. He doesn't need a call legislative leadership. But on the other hand, when you pick up the paper and read that suddenly schools are not going to be open uh, for the month of May, and you say, now, wait a minute, uh, isn't there some better way we could do that and still help the kids? And I think the reaction you're seeing from people about that very thing is just kind of an answer to what the issue we raised. And it's, it's a balancing, and maybe we can't give all the information, but I agree, the more eyes, the more perspective you have on any of these important issues i think the better decision
0: you have I want to close the program we just have about 3 minutes left so about a minute each for for each of our senators uh, start with you senator vickers um if you think about uh, you know the two main factors here uh, in in this pandemic the public health and the economy uh, either one or, or both what what remains your biggest worry what's keeping you up at night
3: well you know originally obviously the health Component of it and and I know that there's an awful lot of people think that this is just like the flu but it's not if you I've studied an awful lot about the virus and it does transmit uh, more rapidly and can be more serious and take in you know really threaten life a lot more than than just the traditional flu so we have to take take uh, care from that standpoint so uh, everybody has to do their job everybody has to take do their job to to protect us and that means social distancing and doing a lot of the things we all know we need to do now. Then on the other hand, uh, as long as the longer it goes on where the economy is shut down, the more significant damage it can do to people and families and uh, you know we're disenfranchising a lot of people. I know that uh, I would much I would really like to see elective surgeries and those type of procedures open back up. We're we're threatening a lot of folks just that the truth not being able to get their traditional medical needs taken care of so it's kind of a balance uh, but I see the scale kind of tipping right now because we're kind of bending the curve if we can continue to do that and allow the economy to move forward and open up I think that's the key right now.
0: And Senator Hilliard to give you the last word about uh, 30 seconds so what's your biggest worry?
2: I, I agree that they're not mutually exclusive I think we can do them both together I think we've done well on the health issue. We need to keep working there, but you know, just see the amount of domestic violence complaints that have increased. I think shows the pressure of people at home. We've got to re- be able to relieve that pressure as well.
0: Very good. We've uh, reached the end of our time. Uh, we've been checking in with uh, some senators uh, on the occasion of special session, the very first uh, ever virtual session of the Utah Legislature's ongoing. Um, and we've been talking earlier in the hour with Senator Luce Escamilla, a Democrat from Salt Lake City. Um, we are talking now with Senator Lyle Hilliard, Republican from Logan. Senator Hilliard, thanks so much for coming on.
3: Always, always glad to.
0: Senator Evan Vickers, Republican from Cedar City, thanks for coming on.
3: No, thanks for having us, Tom. Appreciate it.
0: And uh, hope you'll join us tomorrow. Uh, we always have an Earth Day program, and for several years now, my... Uh, guest co-host for that program has been uh, photographer and writer Stephen Trimble. Uh, He'll join me as well as his good friend, um, the wonderful writer and ecologist Gary Nabhan, who will be with us as well. Uh, That's coming up tomorrow. Hope you join us. Thanks for listening today.
1: When I sit down for an interview, I'm thinking about you. I'm Mary
0: Louise Kelly from NPR. Not every day, but on the best ones, journalists get to ask people in power questions and hold them to account. There is a reason that freedom of the press is enshrined in the Constitution. At home and abroad, leaders make choices that affect your life. Their impulses and decisions need to be examined in as thoughtful and rigorous an interview as possible. Now, Journalists don't do this work to score political points. We do it in the service of asking tough questions on your behalf so you and the world can hear the answers, or lack thereof. That is both a privilege and a responsibility. When you donate to this NPR station, you support journalism that does not back down. Here is how to give and how to help public
4: radio hold powerful people to account. You can be a part of this work by making a donation to Utah Public Radio to support us in these efforts. Donate at upr.org. And thank you.
1: Utah Public Radio hopes you will join us in thanking our sponsors, the many businesses we rely on for their continued support of our mission to provide thoughtful and informative programming, especially in uncertain times. Please stay informed, but also know that whenever you want to find the perfect oasis, UPR 2, our online classical music station, is available, and that's a wonderful thing, especially in uncertain
4: times at upr.org and on our app.